0: And now, here is Doreen. Hi, I'm
1: Dr. Doreen Downing. I'm a psychologist and I host this podcast, Find Your Voice, Change Your Life. And the reason why I introduce you to guests is because I want you to come closer to what people have struggled with in order to become the magnificent beings that they are now. So we don't just pop out of the womb and get to be our, our own, our arms wide open and say hello world, usually, and uh, step into a great, big, beautiful life. It's oftentimes not easy to uh, navigate those early years. So that's what we get to explore and to understand and maybe hear some of your own stories and what people talk about their challenges, their struggles, to find who they really are, who they're meant to be, and their voice, since this podcast is Find Your Voice, Change Your Life. Thank you. I'm so excited. This is a new friend to me. Hi, Linda. Hi. I'm going to read a bio about you so that people get to know a little bit about you right away, and then we could launch into, well, discovery mode.
2: Perfect. Let's go.
1: Okay. Award-winning author, Linda Bello Ruiz co founded and directed a safe haven for street girls, runaways, and sex trafficked minors in Costa Rica. Upon her return to the United States, she earned her master's degree in psychology and worked as a bilingual counselor for 26 years. In retirement, oh, is that true? Retirement, is that really true? <laughs> yeah. <I know. laughs> In retirement, Linda wrote her award-winning memoir, From Tears to Triumph, and later authored three based-on-true-events books, all with a message of hope and purpose. She is an inspirational speaker on choices, consequences, and hope. Oh, I just have to take a big breath to take you in and Uh, heard and read some of what you've um, put out into the world. So I know it's very tender. And I just want to let people know that you've been nose to nose with some very dangerous situations. And uh, not only have you come out uh, alive, let's say, but also also with uh, a lot of information to help others. So first, let me just give a lot of gratitude for your courage.
2: My pleasure.
1: Yeah. So, what we usually do when I start, because all of us don't know where you came from, just some little details, a little bit of family history, just so we could place. You know, where did you? Where world, you start? Yeah. yeah,
2: where did you start? <laughs> I came. I come from a little vineyard community, great vineyard community in Mendocino County called Redwood Valley. Not a lot of people know it by its name, Um, except if you start mentioning Jim Jones, who established the People's Temple in Redwood Valley. But we're up north of Ukiah, and that's where I was raised and went to school and had my bean. And my struggles and being such a small community, and I was one of six children, professional parents, I couldn't wait to get out. So graduation night from Kaya High School, my car was packed, and I hit the road and um, just started my life. That's who I was and continue to be wanting adventure.
1: Oh, I love that phrase, wanting adventure. I do have to pop in and say I was born in Willits, California. You know exactly where Redwood Valley is. Yeah, I had, I have family in Redwood Valley, so I know exactly where that is. And I was only there for about the first five years of my life only. Um, but not that I got in a car, and drove away, but somebody else drove me away. Anyway, so let's come back to you must have in that moment when you decided to pack your car and head. Uh, probably South, I don't know. (laughs) I know it's Northern California, that you must have already had some kind, I I hear, I feel like there's two things. One would be a reason that was propelling you to leave, but then also a reason that was calling you to go find something. So either way, which, which might you want to share first?
2: Well, it was a little bit more organized than just heading off into the wilderness without a plan. I had already been accepted into Sonoma State University, so I knew. So I was leaving in June, and I knew that in September I would start university in Santa Rosa. Um, And I had a place in San Francisco with friends uh, of my family, my sisters-in-laws, to stay down in the mission in San Francisco. Um, so ill equipped, coming from a small vineyard community um, to live in the big city, that's where I initially landed in San Francisco to make my way. Mm-hmm. But you just said that you
1: stayed with your in laws. My, I stayed with my sister's
2: in-laws, okay.
1: I was saying oh, you're so yeah. young. were you married that early? No. Well, then let's go back to what the family life was like because there had to be some also challenges like most of us have growing up.
2: well, being one of six kids, a very hardworking professional parents, um, it was awesome. And yet I, Was the fifth of six. And I remember not knowing my place in the family, trying to get attention. Um, So, although my parents were awesome, wonderful people, um, I wanted to be different to get attention. And I think that's what shaped me to have some rocky roads along the way of needing to get attention. You know, we talk about voice. And I was tall for my age. I started kindergarten late because of the December cutoff of birthdays. So I was more mature, taller, curly red hair, freckles, and a bit dominant even in kindergarten. And so I became a leader classmates remember how it was me who comforted them when their mommies and daddies left them in kindergarten those first days because I was already mothering. But a teacher, and I was thinking about this today, a teacher in fourth grade didn't like whatever it was I was doing. And she sent me out, expelled me from the classroom. And I remember sitting outside the door and heard her telling my classmates not to follow me, that I was not a good role model, and that I shouldn't be listened to, and I should not be led let she did not want me to lead them and Although I cannot remember what sin I caused that day, although i was I had a voice, I just kind of took my voice and I swallowed it, and I was afraid to be be all of who I could be.
1: I have never heard that phrase. And of all over 85 episodes I've done, the idea of swallowing your voice feels very physical. <laughs> and uh, the whole idea of taking it, you know, the the power of you and uh, scrunching it down, down, down. And So that it almost becomes unaccessible.
2: Yeah, it did. So that was kind of my first recollection of I wasn't worthy to have a voice. I wasn't worthy to be a leader. I shouldn't lead people. I shouldn't let my voice be heard. And in that swallowing metaphor, by age 12, 13, I started gaining weight And became obese as a teenager, which made it even worse. Because now I didn't want to speak, but I couldn't hide because I was so big. So now I'm tall, freckled, red curly hair, and fat. So it was a bit of a cocktail for disaster, as I've been known to say. And then with that, you take it out into the world and see what happens.
1: Well, that see what happens. Uh, I think a lot of us who might have been in your shoes somewhat similar uh, know that see what happens results in. And it's usually not a lot of happiness. Mine was
2: finding approval through men. Yes. Uh, that boys. If somebody liked me, then I was valuable. And obviously, I didn't have a lot of boyfriends in high school. I did not have the long blonde hair and the cheerleader body. And so I had to fight for whatever place I had. I was relatively popular in terms of being vice president or secretary of the student body in, in high school. So my a, a strong personality kept me alive. But I needed a man to define me. And that led me on the streets of San Francisco, walking. That led to the book, From Tears to Triumph, the day that I was coming home from work. And this cute African American, handsome man whistled at me Mm -hmm. and said, Hey. And uh, I stopped to talk. And he did that a few times. And that led to a relationship. And when I went back to Santa Rosa to start college, he came to live with me, and that started me down a road of complete insanity
1: oh i I, I know this is always kind of more uh, going down this path to hear a little bit more is could be treacherous, but you've gone through it and you know share it and that's partly what's given you so much power now so but could you you know you say insanity what was what was in insanity
2: the insanity was trying to be what he wanted me to be and yet trying to be what my parents expected me to be i was in college taking classes and at at cinema state to be a Sociologist was my major sociology Mm -hmm. and having one personality with my uh, my friends at school and yet having this man in my life who did drugs, who later uh, ended up being I don't know if he was the first pimp of Sonoma County, but was a pimp in Sonoma County. And I found myself receiving phone calls From his girls on the street when they needed permission for XYZ and having that thing inside going, this isn't me. I shouldn't be this person. But I was caught and I didn't know how to get out. And that's the insanity. And I and it's no longer painful. It was for many, many, many years. But when I wrote my story, from tears to triumph. When you write, you lay it all out there, and then it can't come back and bite you. It can't come back and haunt you because you've spoken it. You've used your voice to say, this was me. This is how it happened. This was my responsibility that I took. This is how I got out.
1: Well, what you've just communicated is not only about uh, the situation that you found yourself trapped in, but uh, how healing can happen through writing. Thank you for mentioning that, and that your book was a way to find your voice and to not um, you know feel ashamed of it and to to know that that your story is one that is something that you <laughs> struggled with, but that sounds like you triumph. So, before we move on to the triumph part, uh, yeah. there was obviously this trapped feeling, and I know that so many people are trapped, feel trapped. What would you say about like do you become aware of it? how do you how do you like start to move out of or through what what happens about untrapping oneself
2: in my case, um My parents counseled me. My siblings counseled me. My friends begged me to walk away, but he validated me. It wasn't until he wanted me to go out on the street corner and make money for him, to prostitute for him, that the light kind of started coming on, but not a lot because I did it. I actually, I said, okay, but not Santa Rosa Avenue. My big defense. Mm -hmm. And I drove down, drove me down to San Francisco and I put on, I had no clothes to be a streetwalker, but I found something and put makeup on and stood on a corner and watched other girls looking at me and wondering why I was on their corner. And just finally, the humiliation of what am I? doing here how low does one need to go how low do I need to go to find my voice and say no 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 and I got in the car and I opened the door and I sat down and I said no I won't do this Uh. and he drove me home in silence and then that night beat the crap out of me Uh. and that's what it took for me to finally go, I don't think I'm in a good place. Yeah. And then it was my voice, finding my voice as my face is swelling in my eyes and my lip is you know, split that and he's drunk and passed out that I got the phone and I used my voice and called my sister and said, come get me, come get me. So some people can be smart, some listen to counsel. Some have to go through the deepest of experiences to finally say, no, mm-hmm. this is not me. I won't do this. Mm-hmm.
1: How powerful, Linda, when you said no, I felt it. And for those who aren't viewing this visually and are only listening, there was a way that you used your arms and your hands to just do this big cross. No. <laughs> and. The your whole body, what I got was your whole body saying no, not just your voice. I mean, just every cell of your body, the way you just demonstrated it, felt like the no. And so, that to me feels like the big one of the big messages here is finding your no to something like that.
2: And not to disappoint you, I ended up going back to him
0: Mm -hmm. or
2: wanting to go back to him. And that is a battered woman syndrome, as you would know from your profession. After I left him, tried to be on my own. I started minimizing it. Well, you know, he was drunk. He was just mad. You know, I shouldn't have disobeyed. He'll change now. He said he would change. Mm -hmm. Um, He does love me. And those are all of the excuses that battered women go through. So I'm not gonna say I just walked out and never looked back because I did go back. What saved me there was it had been less than a week when I went back to confront him and begged to be taken back. Mm-hmm. I found out that he had moved somebody else into our apartment. And I found her things and he had his next person there. Uh. And so I got really angry and I called the police. And rather than them doing anything about him, he put a contract out on my life to have me killed. And that got me running out of Santa Rosa back to San Francisco. And that was after all that, that's what was the final thing. And that led me to a beach in San Francisco wanting to commit suicide not being able to face everything i'd done from my normal upbringing to where, where i had found myself and i just wanted to die that's when i hit hit bottom and then came the triumph
1: oh well thank you for your willingness to you know just point out and paint this picture for us in in such detail your story is obviously something that uh, has many layers to it. And, uh, but it is uh, painful to listen to because it was a human being going through a lot of struggle. And yet, also, I'm smiling because you're here, you are with me, <laughs> and you're here yes. to tell it and uh, being yes. close to saying this life is not worth it. And then, and then what happened?
2: And then on the beach that day, Just before I stood up, I was with a a friend that was living with me down there that I had called to live with me when I escaped Santa Rosa. We were on the beach, and I went to stand up and walk in. I was going to swim and swim until I drowned. I had that plan, but I thought, yeah. And I said this silent prayer, and I said, Lord, if you're real, show me. Mm -hmm. And a few minutes later, this group of hippies Jesus people back in the day, we're talking early 70s, strode by with their guitars and their long dresses and hippie looking, and two of them sat down on the beach next to me and said, let me tell you about Jesus. And I said, no, (laughs) no. It's weird, right? I just cried out. And here they were. There's my answer. There they are. And I go, nope. And I didn't want to be a Jesus person. I was already fat. I was already fat and tall with red hair and some semblance of popularity. If I was a Jesus person, I'd never be popular. Mm -hmm. And that was my crazy rationale. But they didn't give up on me. And they talked to me for five hours. And they ministered and they sang and they talked and they told me stories. And finally, after five hours, the dam broke. I found my voice and I said, I surrender. And my voice is, thank God, has never been covered up since. So that was the day, June 13th, 1971. Mm, A band of angels. Yes,
1: yes coming to take you home. (laughs) So
2: yeah, I joined the Christian commune. I traveled, all that traveling, ventured, traveled into Central America, Mexico, was put in jail for preaching in Mexico, opened up a home for the uh, young girls in Costa Rica. You see my life experience, moved on, just moved on and decided, hey, I have all of these gifts, this gifts of wisdom and and forgiveness. And I have so much to give. I want to give. And that's what I've done. The Bible says, or maybe it's some adage somewhere, says, there but or maybe it's a song, there but for the grace of God, why mm-hmm. so every time I see someone poor or hurting, or homeless, or addicted, or lost and troubled. There, but for the grace of God, go I. Mm-hmm. And then the other one that I always remind myself is that too much, to whom much is given, much is required. And so I have this heart so full. It's like, where can I? Where can I give? Who can I help? Who can I touch? Where can I use my voice? For somebody else who's struggling,
1: mm-hmm. well, that's what you're doing today with me is your voice is who's ever listening today, and thank you, listeners. And I'm sure you're totally captivated by Linda's story because it's uh it's pretty dramatic, but it's also uh, pretty powerful that shows you what is possible to come back from, to heal from, to recover from, to find your truth. And then what I love is what we're learning right now, turning it around to being such a giver.
2: Yes, that's my essence. That's my essence.
1: Oh, that's, I, I love, again, Watching you smile in the way that you are when you just said that's my essence. It just feels like you know yourself all the way down through your heart and soul to know that that's what you're here for. We're almost out of time, so I want to make sure that if there's something you want to tell people about what you're currently doing or how they can find you.
2: Sure. Well, my books are under my name, Linda Bayo Ruiz. There, I'm very Googleable. If you go put my name in Google, you'll find interviews and um, things that I've done, spoken at, meetings that I've been at, talking about sex trafficking in your backyard. Um, My books all speak of truth and give hope for the reader. Uh, Down here in Mexico, I'm in Mexico right now. I'm here six months a year. And I have four foundations. One of them is sending kids to high school under full scholarship. I have a committee down here, now a board of directors. We're now a legal association. And we choose the, the most needy and yet brilliant children out of middle school. And we pay for their education all through high school. And then we have several in college. In fact, two were in the, a lot getting law degrees. One's to become an architect. One is in pharmacology. So I have that program down here that I just love I also have an angel project program down here where we give food to the needy and medicine and doctor visits. And we help during covid with oxygen saving lives. Um, I have a committee for that as well. Wonderful people that step up and say, let me help you. So it's just I'm here giving.
1: I can see I can hear I can feel. Thank you so much. Now you. you say Google, but is there a direct way like your email or something that you could just...
2: Well, I I have my actual website at lindabayoruiz.com That's good. Um, and then I, yeah, then on, if you Google my name, it- a bunch of other stuff shows up. Uh-huh. Well, uh huh.
1: Well, the full-faceted you,
2: <laughs> in all of your
1: layers, uh, you revealed some today, but just uh, beautiful, as I said earlier, uh, courage and bravery, and now almost saintly, just <laughs> the way that uh, you are self-selfishly uh, giving. So. Thank you so much for sharing your voice
2: today. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for this invite. You're amazing what you do. Thank you. From all of us, thank you.
0: Thank you for being with us today for this episode of Find Your Voice, Change Your Life. Each person during interviews shares what has helped them find their voice. You can learn from these guests and find your voice so you can be confident to speak up and speak out. And remember to download Doreen's free 7-Step Guide to Fearless Speaking at Doreen7steps.com. We hope you enjoyed the show and will return next time. Until then, goodbye for now.